Hello, City Hope family. We want to welcome all of our City Hope campuses, all the men at the correctional facility. Thank you for being in church with us today. Today is a very special day. It actually marks our 21st anniversary as a church. We're 21 years old and looking good. And yeah. And it's been exactly one year since the transition of taking the lead pastor position that I carried to our son, Trey. And I just want you to know this, that our church is healthy, it's growing, phenomenal things. It's brighter where we're going than where we've been, okay? Great things are coming. We're really excited. I want you to know that. And someone asked me, because I'm going to ask you to do something, and someone said, is something wrong? No, there's nothing wrong. But I ask you, I want you to do two things. Next time you see Trey, you get a chance to give him an attaboy. Thank you. And secondly, I want you to begin to pray for him if you're not praying for him. And someone said, well, there's something wrong. No. When you're pastoring, it's, it's a heavy spiritual responsibility. And so we want to lift him up because he's putting so much into this church and to you and your family. So remember to do that and continue to do that. You know how sometimes we, you know, people will tell us something to be, we'll say, we'll be praying about that. It's kind of almost like a courtesy drop and we forget <laughs> or we don't do it. Well, I don't want you to forget that. In fact, you know, you, you probably, uh, like me, you probably have family and friends that don't know Jesus and, you know, you've committed at times or you've said at times, I'm going to be praying for them to get, to get saved and we kind of do it and then we kind of forget. You may have heard me tell the story of my grandfather who was in his mid-70s before he came to Christ and as a young child, I could always remember, we're going to pray for Papa, we're going to pray for Papa and you know, when he did accept the Lord, I'd almost forgotten to even pray for him. You know, it's like, uh, so, so, you know, I, I know that you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that all of you listening, you have family and friends that need to come to Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord, right? I mean, I, I want you to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because you may be sitting by that person and I don't want you to embarrass them. But yeah, we all have family and friends and people that we want to come to Christ. So my purpose today is to encourage you in God that he really wants to save those dear to you. And we do need to actually pray for them. So here's what I'm going to do in this message. I'm going to show you the spiritual side of how this works, because you probably see the church side where you know the, you know, we sing, we do this, we open up. If you want to come for prayer, people pray for you and all those things. That's the church side. I want you to see the spiritual side, because I think once you understand this, that it will help you and motivate you to pray. So let me show you this. Here's the first thing. We need faith. Uh, I have found that where faith for the salvation of the lost is concerned, a lot of times with believers, we have doubt. But we need faith. Because, see, if you, if you don't have faith, you're probably not going to pray with any consistency. And we need faith because it does release God's power, and doubt kind of stops up God's power. So, And I know if I put you on the spot to ask you, you know, I imagine some of you could feel intimidated with the questions, you know, do you have enough faith to pray for that loved one, for that brother, for the, for the mom, for, you know, for this cousin or somebody. And it's like, you, you just, I don't know if I have enough faith because really, uh, you know, they're stubborn, they're hard-headed. They've been living this way for a long time. They quit church. They've done all of these things. But the answer is yes, you can, because the Holy Spirit is the author of faith and, and he can, and he will help you be able to believe. And so faith, understand, is not 
out of the mind. It's not positive thinking. Biblical faith is of the heart, not the mind. And Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of what we ask for. That word assurance in the Greek, it, it, it's a word that means a title deed. We're, we're probably all familiar with a title deed. So biblical faith is knowing deep in your heart that we have what we ask from God, just as surely you have a title deed to the, the property that you own. And in, in King James Version, it uses this phrase. It says, faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. The word evidence there in the Greek literally means the proof of charges in a legal court that, that results in a conviction. So it's not a, you, you may say, well, I don't have a deep faith. And so, I, you know, I, don't, I, I hope they get saved. I, I hope they turn their life to the Lord. But I don't have a deep faith. You un- understand this. Don't be intimidated by that. Simply know this, that your, your faith simply needs to grow. It simply needs to grow. The Bible teaches us that faith is like a mustard seed. So the parable of the mustard seed that Jesus tells, you know, he says we need faith like a mustard seed, not the size of a mustard seed. The point is that the seed starts out small, but then it grows. It actually grows into a tree. Romans 12 tells us that each of us is given a measure of faith. Measure is a limited portion. Uh, Romans 1 tells us that our faith goes from faith to faith. In other words, it can grow. So how does our faith grow that this family member, this son, this daughter, this prodigal child will come to the saving grace of God? Well, it comes from the Word of God. So when you study the Word of God, you devour the Word of God, you meditate on it, it transforms and puts faith in you, and you see the seed come to fruition. So our part is simply this. We need to feed and meditate on the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit, that he's the one who causes faith to grow. So before I get into the rest of the message, I want to help your faith grow. I'm going to show you just a couple scriptures that God wants to save your loved ones and your friends. He loves that. You know, God loves everybody. And you're thinking, well, what about that person? What about, what about the one that hurt me or abused me or took advantage of me? God loves everyone. So, so listen, to what, listen to what the Scripture says. It says that God wants all to be saved. It says he's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. The Scripture says that the Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save. In other words, God is able to save. The, the worst scenario of any family member you have. It, and, and the next one is salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his to give. The scripture says, and you shall call his name Jesus, but it is he who will save his people from their sins. So, and, and you know that he, he became a human to save us. You know that he died to save us. You, you know he desires to show mercy rather than judgment to a sinner. He came to seek and save the lost. Actually, salvation is the running theme through the entire Bible. So we meditate, we feed our hearts with these truths, and soon you become convinced that God will save. Now, let me tell you this little story that a guy shared with me. <clears throat> He was telling me about an executive hire. We, we typically call them headhunters. That he was sharing this story with him, and he said, you know, he goes out to the corporates, uh, or out to hire corporate execs for companies, and he said, what I like to do is to get them relaxed and talk and talk about football, baseball, family, and all these things. Get them real relaxed, and then he said, then I just hit them with that question. And the question is, what is your purpose in life? And he said, a lot of them, you know, they kind of stumble around on that. But he said, I was talking to this one guy, and we were all relaxed and talking. And he said, I hit him with the question, and he just fired right back. He said, to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. See, most of us, we don't even think about going to heaven, unless we're getting old. (laughs) We don't even think about taking people with us. And this guy, he was speechless for the first time. As believers in Christ, we have a purpose. 
We need to fulfill that purpose. Actually, Acts 13 tells us David, King David, it says he served the purpose of God in his own generation. So our purpose as a generation, there's two or three generations sitting here listening to me today, but the purpose in your generation is to bring a harvest of souls to Jesus Christ. And I believe personally that it should start within your own family. I don't, I don't think God's going to give you the burden for the nations until he, you have a burden for your own family. And, 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 and to accomplish that purpose involves strategic prayer. And that's what the title of this message is, strategic prayer. So we can see our friends and our loved ones become believers. So we need faith. So have you ever thought about why it's so difficult for unbelievers to become believers? I mean, I've been in ministry 40 years, and I've learned a lot. But here, here's the second thing we need. We need an unveiling. An unveiling is needed. What does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us there's a veil that keeps the unbelievers from clearly seeing the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled from those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This word veil in the Greek means to hide, to cover up. So it's important to understand that unbelievers, they don't see the gospel because they can't see it. It's veiled. It's a covering over their mind. It prevents the light of the gospel from piercing through. So as believers, we're given the part to pray for God to lift the veil off their minds. So related to this word veil in the Greek is another word, and this word is revelation. Revelation in the Greek means off or away. So literally, a revelation is an unveiling, an uncovering. So unbelievers have an unveiling, revelation. They, they, they can't understand the gospel because the veil prevents them from comprehending it. If the veil is, uh, is removed, then that's, his, that's the enemy's strategy is to hide the truth of the gospel to keep them in his grasp. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, it says that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. It's blinded. But, but listen, we think blinded from the standpoint of the physical blindness. I can't see where I'm going. Though this word in the Greek actually means to dull the intellect, to make one blind because you've dulled the intellect. So he has the ability, Satan, to dull unbelievers' thinking where the gospel's concerned. The root of this word, it, the picture of this word in the Hebrew is basically this. It is to make smoke. It's kind of like uh, blindness in this is compared to a smoke screen. It's kind of like you driving your car when the fog is so thick and there's zero visibility. And so from this root word that means smoke, that can't, it's the, that's the veil. You can't see the gospel. Then there's another root word that, that is used for high-minded, proud, uh, inflated with self-conceit. So this picture is one who's puffed up much like smoke puffs or billows. So watch. Here's what I'm saying. The blindness of the unbeliever to the gospel is directly linked to the root of pride that Satan passed on to mankind in the Garden of Eden. The root of pride that came in at the fall causes unbelievers to think, watch, same thing today, humanity's knowledge is greater than God's. It leads to knowledge not dependent on God, but independent knowledge that looks to one's own self, own mind, own intellect as the judge of truth. So simply, let me put it this way. Self loves self, and anything that satisfies and exalts self, that's what self loves. So any message, any teaching that preaches and teaches self-denial or that self needs to be saved, it is offensive to self. 
There's a fog there. They can't see clearly. So that's a fit. I'm not giving up self. I've got this figured out. I'm doing pretty good at it. So the only answer to this self God is death, the cross, where we die with Christ. The only problem is self wants to desperately live. The very nature of pride is to be self-preserving and self-serving. So the very thing that needs to die has been on living. So we must remain, and if you're going to live in self, you remain an enemy of God. So what do we need to do? We need to attack the root of pride. Listen, most reject Christ. Let me show you. There's two, uh, two, two areas that most reject Christ, and I'll show you why. The same reason why. That people reject Christ either from the works motivation all false religions, and I can give you a list of them. You drop your jaw on some of them because you've heard them. You think, oh, that's a false religion. It is a false religion because it's not true on Jesus Christ. But most false religions are works motivated. It's all about works. And then the other side of it is most people don't want to give up lordship of their life. And what hides both of these is the veil of pride. I'm not giving up lordship of my life, so there's a veil of pride. And Satan's initiated stronghold of pride is the ultimate enemy of Christ. And it will be dealt with in finality. At the end, the Bible says every knee and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. But what about right now? What about my family? What about my son, my daughter, my children, my grandchildren, my mom, my dad, my uncle, my cousin? What about my best friend? What about my neighbor? So let me tell you this little story. (laughs) The pastor shared this. He said a lady in his church became blind, and they moved her to another home, so he went to visit her late in the afternoon, and he goes in, and she welcomes, recognizes his voice, and lets him in, and she's getting through the new house. She has her cane, and, and she said, let's go out on the back deck, and let's drink some coffee. She already had it prepared, so they go out, and he said right before they go out the door, she puts her hand in a bag of cat food, and she takes some little things of cat food and puts them in her pocket. So they go out and they sit and they're talking. The sun's going down. It's dusk, and they're talking. And she she makes as they're talking, she makes this little sound. And she reaches in her pocket, takes a, a piece of cat food, and drop just drops her arm down. And he said, oh, "There's a little cat coming." And then she got another piece of food and dropped it down. And there's another cat. And before long, there's five or six cats down there. She's feeding. And this guy said, "Man, where did all these cats come from?" So he kind of leans over in his chair to see what's going on, and he realized, "Oh, those aren't cats. Those are skunks." So he quietly and graciously left. (laughs) Though not caused by pride, the woman's blindness is a fitting picture of the reality-destroying ability of pride. We convince ourselves of the righteousness of our self-serving lifestyle and desires. And so it's, it's 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 a terribly odorous fallen creature we humans feed when we exalt and serve the God of self. So how do we deal with this pride, this God of self? Well, the Bible gives us scriptures and and strategies, and and we're going to look at this one. It's in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. So, so, So listen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, most Christians take this and interpret these verses as something we do for ourselves. And that is appropriate, but the context is certainly that this is for spiritual warfare for others, family, friends, people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a paraphrase of that. I'm not even going to put it on the screen because I want you to listen. Here's a paraphrase of what I just read. 
It's true that I am an ordinary, weak human being, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I, I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can, can be built to keep men from finding him. And with these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God, change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. So God is, first of all, states that our weapons of warfare are not human. We will never win people to Christ on an intellectual basis. We will never win them through innovative techniques or methods alone. And listen, for sure, you're not going to win someone to Christ with nagging and harassing. And then the old scare technique. When I was a kid and growing up in church, they showed those films when they first came out, you know, to scare the hell out of you. So you go to the altar and get saved. And if you pray this prayer, you go to heaven. If you don't pray this prayer, you're going to hell. Okay, I'm going to pray that prayer. But that's not, that's not the way it works in the spiritual realm. That's what man's manipulated and worked. So God, here's what God's saying. I'll let you use my methods because yours won't work. So I'm going to put you on the spot. And this time I want you to raise your hand. Do you know someone, family or friend, in the back of your mind it seems it's impossible to reach them? Impossible. You know anybody like that? I've pastored people like that before. I've had family like that before. So, with God's power, salvation's possible. Well, what are his weapons? Well, it's, it's real simple. It's prayer, word of God, and the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't surprise you. It's prayer, word of God, and the Holy Spirit. So, here, here's what these weapons do. If you boil it all the way down, these weapons help produce enlightenment in the unbeliever. What we read in 2 Corinthians 4, the word light, that word means illumination to let light in. So, in other words, it doesn't make any difference how glorious our Jesus is, if the veil is not removed, they cannot see the true elimination of Jesus Christ. So let's say it this way. The letting of the self is essential in preconditioning to seeing. So we must ask God to lift the veil from unbelievers' eyes for enlightenment. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7, in verse 18, he says that if you'll pray to the God, he, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened that you may know the hope of his calling. These Ephesians were already born again. They needed revelation and enlightenment, so, so does an unbeliever. But we have to understand the difference in information and revelation. Information's in the mind. Biblical revelation, it affects the mind, but it originates from the heart, not the physical heart. The spiritual heart is where the mind and the spirit connect. When there's a spiritual connection, that's your spiritual heart. So spiritual power is only released through revelation knowledge, the unveiling. It's the written word that becomes the living word. And information can come immediately, but revelation, listen, unveiling is normally a process. And so what I've seen in my life is I've seen people come to church, somebody preaches a message, and people are not responding, so they work, they manipulate. They're trying to get people to respond to something. Understand that this is a process. You've you got to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. You've got to let this word go in and, and not be stolen. And it's just like the Pharisees. They knew. They had information. They had knowledge, but uh, they, they didn't know the Lord. Because the revelation from the Scripture, all the Scripture they knew, they should have had revelation of spirit and life. And, oh, that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. So why is this so important? Because as humans, all of us, we are forever short-circuiting God's process. 
It's only revelation that leads to biblical faith and true change. Without it, we are simply appealing to a fallen, selfish, humanistic mind that started at the fall, and here's what it says. Listen, you may have never said this out loud, but it's there. It's the bottom line of this. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? If we appeal to this through human wisdom and intellect alone, we offer a humanistic gospel. What's in it for them gospel? Then we produce humanistic, self-centered converse. On the other hand, if you offer a pure gospel that includes repentance and the laying down of a person's life, unbelievers are going to reject that unless they receive revelation or unveiling. In fact, the Bible says that the gospel to the unbeliever sounds ridiculous, foolish. The root word of foolish is where we get our word moron. So foolishness. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to birth true repentance in unbelievers through God-given revelation. So we need faith. We need an, an unveiling as needing. Here's the third part. We need to pray strategically. So I'm going to give you five. You, you can make 20 if you want to, but I'm going to give you five. That, and just Because just hearing the gospel isn't enough. We need strategic prayers. One, pray the person's heart's prepared. For what? Good soil for the seed. Two, pray that Satan will not be able to steal the seed. Three, pray the word becomes revelation through the lifting of the veil. Pray, number four, pray the root of pride and then will be broken. Pray that the person comes to true repentance. Do you know that most people who come to Christ, they come to Christ because uh, all hell's broken loose in their life. They just got a bad report. This happened, that happened. That's when people, that, that, that's, sometimes that's when the root of pride can be broken. But it doesn't have to be that way. But the person has to come to true repentance, not just, just something emotionally going on. The word repentance, metanoia, means this. It's to have a new knowledge or understanding that produces a change. In the biblical context, repentance is a new understanding that comes from going through an unveiling of truth. And you accept Christ, now you've got a new life. You're a new creature. And part of that veil blinds the unbelievers is is a stronghold that's referred to in second corinthians 10 4 we just read it that word stronghold in the greek here's what it means it means to have to hold it is literally in the greek it is a place which is to hold something strongly in other words satan has a place of strength within unbelievers which he can hold imprison them strongly so their prisoners are captives look at them that way Jesus was sent to proclaim release to the captives. Our role as believers is to participate in the destruction of these prisons through spiritual warfare. Destruction, what does that mean? Well, that word's very important in the Greek. It has two meanings. It means to bring down with violence and to demolish something. So you're going to demolish it and you're going to use violence. So God's plan is for us as believers to be demolition agents and violently tearing down Satan's strongholds in the minds of our loved ones, of our kids, of our children, of our spouses, of our family. Generational. Generational strongholds. You, you've, we've all seen the videos where they implode buildings and you see a whole city block of buildings implode and come down. You know, what they've done is, they, you know, like dynamite strategically is placed all through the building at the right time. It all goes off and in 10 seconds, this whole thing's leveled. I think that should be a picture of our, of our prayers. Because we don't typically see answers to our prayers in seconds or minutes, sometimes not even days. So, you know, what we have to understand is we need to do this for days and weeks and even years. Just like I mentioned my grandfather. There were years I forgot because it's like, he ain't never going to get saved. Oh, he goes to church, but he cusses like a sailor. Oh, he tithes, 
but he didn't know Jesus. He loved his church. He'd fight you over his church, but he didn't know Jesus. So you get used to it. You get, you know, you get familiar with it, and you just kind of forget, but it's still family. It's still flesh and blood. So when he got saved in, in his mid-70s, it was like, oh, my goodness. God did hear our prayers. God did answer our prayers. So when we place all this, it's dynamite for us. It's all these spiritual prayers. Sooner or later, the holy detonator of heaven's going to come, and, and there's going to be an explosion in the spirit. The stronghold's going to crumble, and that's when people can receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when you come in here, you're, you're, when, if you respond to a message to receive Christ, it wasn't just out of the blue, boom, okay, I'm going to do this. No, there's something in the Spirit going on. There, there, there's been somebody praying for you. God's been lining up. You, you heard the song. He, he'll knock down a wall. He'll climb a mountain. God is chasing you. you. You didn't find him. He's trying to find you. So when it comes to that place where the conviction is there, it's like the pride is dropped, and now you're ready to receive, well, that, that's what's going on inside is all of a sudden now you, you're able to accept Christ. You fall to your knees and accept him as Lord. So we need faith, we need, we need the unveiling to take place, we need, we need the prayer strategies, and number four, we need to understand the purpose behind the prayers. So I'm going to show you this, and then I'm going to wrap it up, okay? You, you good with this? Okay. God shows us three major components of this stronghold that blinds an unbeliever. And I know you get, I know you get excuses, people tell you, but th- let's see what spiritually they are. Three components, and, and we need, because we need to identify these components so we can call them out in prayer over the individuals we want to see the Holy Spirit move and save. So here's the first one. It's demolish speculations. Speculations are simply beliefs. In other words, an individual's reasoning and wisdom and logic after a period of time, these are their beliefs. They've accumulated wisdom and information, and it becomes a mindset. Your mindset about that. You have theories about certain things in life. That's your mindset. James tells us that these theories come from the earth or the soul or the intellect. The Greek word here is logomos, and it also includes philosophies and religions and humanism and, and, and atheism and, and materialism and racism and intellectualism and perversions and alcoholism and drug addicts and anything, watch, anything that causes a per- person to think a certain way. When a person thinks a certain way, then here is that philosophy, that speculation. So how, how do they veil the truth? Well, the way the human mind functions, it, it dictates that when people hear the gospel, they, they, have maybe, they, they don't even have time to think. and they, they, they don't even reason what they're hearing, but it's going through a filter in the subconscious where all information is stored. So what I'm saying is unbelievers don't only hear what you're saying, but they're hearing what they're saying already, what they believe. Their, their, their subconscious is telling, oh, I don't, I don't believe that. Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, I'm hearing this. The Bible says, Jesus says this, this, and this. Oh, I don't believe that because my, my, I've already decided this is what I believe. And, and so I used to wonder why people could hear a, a gospel message and then reject it. And then I've come to understand after you know, 40 years, it's like that unbeliever heard it was filtered through this belief system, this logomos, and it was caused them to hear something totally different. They're hearing the gospel. They didn't hear what I heard. They, you know, I, I know what's coming out of my mouth. I don't know what you're hearing coming out of my mouth. They, they didn't understand what I understood. That's why 2 Corinthians 4 says they may not see the light of the gospel. They simply don't see the image of God that we do. So people's beliefs distort and turn them upside down on their perceptions of the gospel. 
And I could give you a hundred stories. I'm going to give you two real quick. I was sharing the gospel with someone, and this has happened many times. It was a woman, and she had been abused, and I'm ministering. I said, you know, God loves you. God cares. And, and then she, she heard more than what I said, and she said, oh. She said, if he is loved, then why would he allow me to be abused? Why did he allow that family member to do this and do that? That doesn't sound like a loving God to me. What is that? That's her belief system in her mind because she's been hurt and abused. That's her philosophy, her wisdom, and her logic. So someone needs to pray with her and bring illumination and intercede and pray with her to tear down that belief that's wrong because guess what? God saw the whole thing happen and he, because this man, this person that did it had their own will. He saw the whole thing happen. So he knows exactly how you felt and what you went through. He can go back to the very second that it happened and his compassion, and his love and his mercy is there to extend to you. But if you believe he's a mean, hateful God, you're not even going to turn to God. So you're going to live and walk through life with wounds and scars the rest of your life. You see what a belief system can do? So let me flip it over. I've talked to guys about this before. You know, I've, I've talked to guys that are good guys. I've got an uncle that's, he hates church. He doesn't want to go to church. He's a good man. He's not a believer. He's in his 80s, and it, he, he just, he, he, he's a good man. But I've, I've talked to other guys where they say, well, you know, I'm a good guy. I don't cheat on my wife. I, I, I don't beat my kids. I don't lie, cheat, steal. I, I don't do all that. I don't think God's going to send me to hell. That's his belief system that a person could be good enough to go to heaven. So how does the gospel break through arguments like that? Well, the gospel itself has the power to break the arguments down, but you got to get them to listen to you. Most aren't going to listen to you. So it's wiser to play the, plow the ground ahead of time spiritually, preparing the reception of the seed so that whenever randomly they walk in a church, they walk somewhere, they encounter somebody they don't even know, and they hear the message of the gospel, that seed hits the ground, it takes root, and, and all of a sudden things change. And you may know the speculations and beliefs that are in some people that you're praying for. If you do know what those are, you go ahead and call them by name, saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm demolishing this stronghold of belief, blank, in so-and-so. And you do it till that person comes to Christ. So the second part of the stronghold we have to demolish is uh, any elevated place or thing. Every, the Bible says every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. The Greek word here is any elevated place. It's referring to the same root word pride discovered in the word blinded. It's the most highness that came to humanity at the fall with Adam and Eve and bought the lie, you'll be like God. So Satan tried to exalt himself to a place of equality with the most high, we became, however, the mo- not the most high, but our own most high, filled with pride. So this word then encompasses a mindset that exalts myself against the knowledge of God. Let me say it this way. It involves our desire to rule our own lives, decide for ourselves what's right and wrong, and basically be our own God. Now, that sounds like our culture today. That, that sounds like generations of people today that we, 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 our own desire to rule our own lives and decide for ourselves what's right and wrong and basically I'm going to make my own decisions and what's in it for me. The good news is you can tear down these strongholds. You, 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 prayer, you, you, you can pray and God will tear them down. But we, we have to understand that the Lord promises us that we can break every proud argument in every wall. Here's the third aspect of that wall, of that stronghold, is take every captive thought. The Lord says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The word thought there means plans, schemes, plots. It refers to the spontaneous thoughts and temptations Satan uses to keep unbelievers in the dark. 
We have to declare that no weapon of Satan is going to prosper. We have to stand against them through prayer. We can and should pray that the unbeliever be shielded from Satan's thoughts and temptations. What am I saying? Never stop praying for hopeless cases. Yeah, but you don't know this family member. You don't know this person. You don't, ne- if they're breathing, don't ever stop praying for hopeless case because no one is beyond the Lord's ability to convict and convert. It's not the, jo- it's not the job of the church or the family member to convict you. you. You understand we're not judges. We are fruit inspectors. And by the way, this whole principle works. If you've got a child that's off the rails, they've gone AWOL. And, and they're believers, but they're living a lifestyle and the fruit they're producing. I've argued this with men who go off the deep end and they do this and they justify that and they want to live this way and do this way and do that. They're, they're blinded again. They're blind. You, you pray the same principle. You use the same strategies to pray because you understand that no one, there's no hopeless case. Don't give up. Don't just assume, well, you know, they prayed that prayer back whenever, whatever. No, they've been blinded again. Here's why that's important. Listen. The unbeliever cannot war for himself. That person that you love, that sister, that brother, that mom, that dad, they can't war for themselves. They can't even see. It's like driving a car in the fog. They can't see. And they they can't overcome the darkness until the veil's lifted. And this darkness is, you know, it's going to resist you praying. But don't be afraid of that. That's God's work. That's his business, not mine. I just need to pray. So I want to end with this. So listen to me. My goal is for you to have a burden for lost people. Not your burden, but the Lord's burden. Because it's really hard for you to have a burden for lost people. I mean, really. I've told people before, if I didn't have God's love in me, I couldn't love some of you. Because I'd be praying for you to die, and I'd you know, tell God, you'd, I'd be tell God, they died. They just died, God. But because I love God, watch, he gives me a burden. I want you to have a burden for your family. I believe it starts in your own backyard. I don't believe, you're gonna, I don't believe you should be praying for the nations if you're not praying for your own family. And all the yeah buts are out the window because God loves them. And God may have chosen just you to be that one who's praying for that one person. And here's what you have to understand. Everyone in this room that is a believer, you were once an unbeliever, and somebody you may have known or not known has prayed for you until you gave your heart to Jesus. I have family members, I've done this in my family, I have family members that I have prayed like this. They don't even know I'm praying. I don't go wave a flag and tell them. I don't go preach at them. I've just prayed for them. And I've seen them come out of darkness and come into light. It wasn't me, but I think I expedited by preparing the soil of their heart to receive truth and remove a veil so that they could respond to truth because they really wanted to. But if you're blind, you don't know what you're missing. So this last scripture, and I'm going to wrap it up, maybe, describes the passion I'm talking about that I want you to have. When I read this, you're going to see the word tears 
Don't interpret tears as literal tears, but as passionate caring. Okay? Psalms 126 and 5. The psalmist said, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Our tears, our passion for lost people are the seeds in this verse. In other words, God uses them to produce a harvest. The word for seed in the Hebrew is the word zira, and it means not only seed or crop, but it also means offspring or family. So when we use strategic prayers compassionately for our family, the prayer seeds we're sowing will sow a family harvest. In other words, your strategic prayers will grow into saved children, spouses, and parents. In just a few days, it'll be 10 years that my dad passed away. He was a pastor for 60 years. After he passed away, he had tons of books and Bibles, and all of us boys, we got some of the books and Bibles and all that. So one of the Bibles that I've got, uh, it was a large print because my dad, as a kid, uh, when we'd go on vacation and drive, he took the large print. This is before texting, guys. This is old school. But he would hold the Bible up on his steering wheel, and he'd be driving down the road, and he knew the Scripture almost perfectly, so he would just read it out loud to us kids in the back. We, we didn't have the DVDs. We didn't have any of that. So that was that. So one of the Bibles that I got was one of the large print Bibles. When I opened it up, in the back of it, he had a piece of paper, and I opened it up, and it was all of us, family, immediate family. It was a whole list. And it was his prayer list for his family. He pastored 60 years. He loved people, but he put his family first. He prayed for his family. Oh, I kept the Bible and I kept that piece of paper because my name's on that paper. And then he even had my wife's name on it and then my brothers and their spouses. I mean, he had, he had all the grandkids that, you know, then. I mean, he, he, he was praying for them. All I'm saying is, listen, there's just something about blood kin that's very important. And if you have a child that's AWOL, off the rails, I don't care if they're grown, you still have a spiritual weighty advantage don't give up don't just say they're stubborn that's just the way they are they're a rebel you start praying and asking god to change their heart to remove the veil don't give up on your family fight for your family be a person of passion you 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 can't do it on your own But the passion of God, the very passion of God, if you're a believer, the passion that sent him to the cross is in you. See, here's what I think. I think if you knew that tomorrow morning Jesus was going to return, you would spend the rest of the day praying over your family and your children. All those people in Africa, China, wherever, wherever, they probably wouldn't be on the top of your list unless you're a missionary. What's going to be on top of your list is your family. Well, see, we, we don't know when Christ is returning. We just know it's that season. He could come anytime. So don't wait. Don't wait. Begin to pray. Begin to believe. Yeah, but they believe this. They're living like this. Listen, we, we are not a judge. I hate people to judge people. Jesus doesn't judge. He's a fruit inspector. Well, they're living like this and living like that. So you're just going to throw them out and forget them? No, you're going to pray. Because you're going to let God change their heart. You're going to quit judging them and, and putting them in a box of, 
perfectionism. You're going to let God change their heart so that God can create them to be everything he wants them to be, not what you want them to be. And I think I could meddle for just a little bit, but I'm out of time. So the next group coming in, man, they're going to get it. I think some, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think some of you don't pray for your children because you've tried to control their lives too much. And you can't pray for God's will over something that you're trying to control. God created your child with a purpose. They have an anointing on their life, and you need to let it be what God's plan is and not your plan, but you need to pray them back into the kingdom of God so they can fulfill what God says. So I'm going to stop and pray. If not, I'm going to preach on. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son. And Lord, bring to our memory. Don't let us forget our family and our children and our loved ones. And let this message, let us go back and listen and learn from this and grow and practice this, these prayer strategies over our children, over lost people, so that we can see them encounter the light, the image of Jesus Christ, and they get a new life. Not only in heaven, but here on this earth. So Lord, thank you for your promises. We love you and we thank you that you do answer prayers and you are a faithful God and we bless your name. And the church said amen. Amen. God bless you.